be in the house of the Lord. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Have your Bibles. Let's hold those up and begin our begin our morning. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. And here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. High five, fist pound your neighbor. Reach over and hug them. That'd be all right, too. I got to thinking uh, so many people have the Bible on their phones anymore, so if I, in, the, in the future, if you hold your phone up, that'll be all right, too. So I just wanted to <laughs> thought I'd throw that at you as an opportunity for you, an option. Oh, I'm praying for 2011 that it be a year of uh, growth in our church, and I hope that you are, too. Um, we, uh, it's a good church in a lot of ways, full of imperfect people, of which I will be the first to stand in line to be an imperfect person. Any rest of you jump in with me? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I know there's a few that aren't, but, uh, you know, and God bless them. We'll pray for them, won't we? <laughs> One of the things that I hope we do is become an Ephesians 4 church. In Ephesians 4, <clears throat> it says, toward the end of that chapter, it says a lot of things in that chapter, but toward the end of it, it says that we should not let any unwholesome words come out of our mouths, but such words that are appropriate for the moment to build up and encourage each other. So if we could just spend the year just being Ephesians 4 people, where we just share good words. Amen? you got plenty of bad ones out there. So let those happen out there. But in this place, let's share good words. Let's share encouraging words. And let's be those kind of people that just lift each other up. And, uh, you know, if we, if we hear a story, don't repeat it. Don't repeat the story. And if you think you know something that you don't, keep it to yourself. <laughs> what did your mother say? If you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Let's live that way, amen? Because there's too much of the other out there. and We don't need it in the church. And so uh, I want to start with Wrestling with Life this year, a sermon series entitled Wrestling with Life. How many of you wrestle with life? Boy, I do. <laughs> Today's a good message. It's the unchained gospel. And we need to remember, we need to be reminded of some things. The Roman legionnaires, their life was anything but easy. They usually enlisted at the age of 19 or 20. And then they were bound to serve the Roman army as a soldier for 20 years. 20 years. Difficult was the existence of a Roman legionnaire. They would march 25 miles a day. And they would do that in formation. 
They would stop for the night and build their camp. The camp consisted of 12-foot earthen walls, and around those walls they dug a 12-foot moat. And then they would sleep, and these encampments would usually house close to 6,000 men. And then once the uh, morning rose, they would then uh, burn their campsite and march approximately another 25 miles and go through the same process over again. And it was in that type of regimen that Paul is chained to one of these soldiers. And so he had to do all that they were doing. And so he's writing to his son in the faith, as he's called, Timothy. And this morning we're going to be in 2 Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter 2. And we're going to focus at verses 8 through 10. And I want you to turn there and find that. One of the other things I'm going to do for you is that Mark challenged me to quit spoon-feeding you. He said, Dad, you give them too much stuff. Make them work for it. I thought, that's a great idea, son. I'm going to make you work for it. So you're going to have to open your Bible or find it on your phone. And by the way, we have reading. You know, I always put a reading plan for you. It's on the table back there. But if you have a smartphone, and most of us do, you can download an app free called YouVersion. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. Download that to your phone. And in that program, that application, are as many translations of the Bible as you can think of. But the best part of it is the reading plans that are there on the phone. Okay? So you might say, well, I need a devotional study. I need some." Boy, they're there. There's bunches of them. All right? So I would encourage you to try that. If you have a PC, a, a personal computer at home, you can download. It's free. It doesn't cost you a thing. And I would encourage you to, to try that. I, I love my... Mine on my phone, I do my Bible reading. When I find myself, uh, you know, in a waiting position somewhere, uh, boy, I just pull that right out and get right into my devotional reading for the day. It's awesome. So I encourage you to do that. But Paul is writing to Timothy. And he's strapped to and chained to one of these soldiers. And I think it helped him in dealing with Timothy in these passages we're going to look at in just a minute. It helped him understand how important it is for the struggle that you and I go through every day as a believer. Because we go through struggles. And we have difficulty. But, he writes, beginning at verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, of the seed of David, according to my gospel, wherein I suffer hardship unto bonds as a slave, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal joy. When you read this book, it's easy to see what Paul is concerned about, especially with Timothy. He was concerned about Timothy's courage, about his commitment to continuing ministry. In, in God and doing the things that God has called him to do. He was concerned about Timothy's nature because he was described as somewhat timid and afraid 
willing not to maybe pay the price for fulfilling the call of God in his life. So Paul was concerned about that. If you were to summarize this whole book of 2 Timothy into one phrase, it would be stand up, stand up for Jesus. The more that we march on every day, the more that marching order is going to be in our lives. You and I are going to have to learn how to stand up for Jesus. So do it. Do it at the grocery store. Do it at the quick trip. (laughs) Do it wherever. Stand up for Jesus. Invite everybody you know to come to church. Everybody you encounter, invite them. Ask them, say, do you go to church anywhere? Nope. Well, come, come with me. Boy, I got a great church. It's full of great people, imperfect people, and we're just having, doing life together. Isn't that a great thing to think about? And we are. We're just a bunch of imperfect people doing life together. I wish we were perfect. Remember the old boy that sang in the shower, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Yeah. And some of us really believe that. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I think I'm going to leave the church, preacher. I said, because, he said, well, I just don't like what's going on down at that place. I said, well, okay, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to go join another church. I said, well, don't do that. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, don't do that. Because if you go join another church full of imperfect people, I mean, full of perfect people, you're going to mess it up because you're an imperfect person. See, that's the whole thing. When you're in a relationship, if something's rocky in the relationship, you don't just stop the relationship, you work through it. Amen. Well, nowadays, we just, what do we do nowadays? We just pitch it up and quit. I'm done. I'm done. It's a throwaway society we live in. Stand up for Jesus. And Paul in this letter encourages Timothy, exhorts him to be strong, recognizing that being a Christian means, just like Jesus, we're probably going to suffer. Not probably. We will suffer. Four things Paul calls our attention to from our text, verses 8 through 10. First of all, don't get distracted from the centrality of the gospel. Remember and always keep the gospel as the center of what you do and why you do it. Paul, as we do in our day, had many things which Christians can do and were doing while they ignored the very best things to be doing. Paul wanted to be sure that Timothy was aware that the gospel should be central to all that he did. He didn't want Timothy, like so many of others, to go astray and begin focusing on things that really didn't have any eternal value. And we tend to do that as believers. He would say in chapter 3, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. (coughs) It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to practice it. And even another thing to embody it. Make it live in you. And that's what Paul was warning Timothy against. Against allowing himself to be caught up in it. Getting sidetracked. There are many people who have the best of intentions. But they've allowed themselves to get caught up in good things which cause them to ignore the best things. What are some of those things? Well, one of them is prophecy. (laughs) Now make no mistake about it, prophecy is an important thing. It is 
Scripture and it should be studied and in proper context it should be taught. But there are those (coughs) who spend their lives and their whole ministries trying to find out what's going to happen and doing nothing about what's already happening. I read a story about a pastor who flew into Guatemala to, to lead a pastor's conference and at the airport where a group of people with big signs promoting and announcing this major prophecy conference. But as this pastor looked around the area in Guatemala, he saw some obvious things. Before they needed this huge conference on prophecy, they needed to get out into the highways and the byways and to preach this simple gospel that says, Jesus is the Messiah, the seed of David, crucified and rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and someday is coming again in glory. That's what they needed to hear more than this prophecy conference. And while some get caught up in prophecy, others get caught up in discipleship. Well, they want to know what the deeper life is all about. They have their study Bibles, their commentaries, they listen to tapes, they attend intensive Bible studies, and all of that's good. Don't get me wrong, all that's good. But if all that knowledge does not lead you as a person to make disciples and share the gospel with them, then you're off track. Because you're focused so much on the study, but you're not giving out anything. Others get wrapped up in worship. Oh, I just love to praise the Lord. I I love music, Pastor. That's my passion. Again, all well and good. But when was the last time that you led somebody to Jesus? When was the last time that you were able to give your testimony and tell somebody else how you came to know the Lord and what He's done for you? How you were lost and now you've been found. You see, we need to understand that we're lost people. And when God found us, we ought to be excited about that. Amen? Man, there ought to be, you can't stop telling them. If you won the lottery today, you'd be telling everybody. Well, you wouldn't have to because they'd tell them for you. You'd have friends come out of the woodwork you've never seen before. Relatives. Some of them only have one eye in the middle of their forehead. But boy, they show up wanting some help. Yeah. Boy, are we that excited about our and passionate about our relationship with God? Others just want fellowship. That fellowship's great. It's all about community, Pastor. It's all about being part of a family. I agree. Fellowship is awesome. It's one of the core values of every Christian should be fellowship. My biggest heartbreak for our church is that we're probably not connected as well as we should be outside this hour on Sunday morning. Do we know what each other do? Do we know where each other works? Do we know what's going on in each other's life? Do we even care enough? Not that I want to be nosy, but I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. You know, are you struggling with something? Man, let's love each other enough to know. When's the last time you just had dinner with each other? Well, there's just certain people I don't eat dinner with in that church, preacher. Well, I got you. Is there anybody you eat dinner with? Are you with me so far? You see, we have Sunday school on Sunday. It's the time to study, but it's also a time to fellowship around the Word of God. We had a great class this morning. It was a real lively class, good discussion. These classes I'm offering you, the video class or the study in Deuteronomy, I'm telling you, they're great classes. You need to come. I'm just asking you to give one more hour, two hours, two and a half hours on Sunday morning. That's it. 
You can do it. I'll even bring donuts for you. I provide donuts and coffee. So I got you covered. What I can't do is put your body here. I can't make you come. A friend of mine said, he, if, 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 he said, I would love to make you come forward and join the church or come to Christ. He said, if I, I'd put a half Nelson on you and drag you down here. <laughs> I had to look up what half Nelson was. Yeah. There you go. But you know, if I, if I could make you do it, I'd have already made you do it. But there's something awesome when you find it and you want it and you can't stop until you get it. Fellowship is awesome. But is that our central purpose for existence? Are we out spreading the gospel to every tribe and every nation? Are we in our neighborhoods talking to our neighbors? Paul wanted Timothy to keep in the very forefront of his mind the reality that the gospel of Jesus raised from the dead should be the central part of his preaching, the central part of his ministry, lest he be led astray, went on in in the Corinthian letter in chapter 2, verse 2, to say, For I determined not to know anything among you to save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This was the gospel He preached, and it is the same gospel we preach. First of all, keep the gospel central. Secondly, the call to follow Jesus is a call to be ready and willing to suffer for Him. One of the things that we need to, to understand and open our eyes to is the reality that if you're going to be a Christian, you will suffer. Can you say that with me? I will suffer. Here we go. I will suffer. Yeah, that's going to take on different forms and fashions, isn't it? It will. And especially still now here in America, in the western part of the world as they call us, well, we suffer a lot, don't we? Especially for Christianity. I mean, the hardest thing that I can see most people struggling with is whether to get up on Sunday morning and drag their old body up to a church house. That's about the biggest struggle you got, spiritually. At least in most people's mind. Well, how many more times do I have to listen to that guy say the same thing he said all the time? Well, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. But you need to hear it some more. Amen. We need to quit, never stop talking about it. Got to keep on, keep on, keep on. I was reading about a pastor who traveled worldwide with preaching and teaching. And as he sat and he listened to different Christians share, he, he was in a house church, uh, pastor's house in China. And part, he's part of the underground church and he, he was telling how he had been arrested for being a Christian and how miraculously God had delivered him. He listened to a Romanian Christian talk about the persecution that they suffered under their communist dictator. He heard a testimony of an old woman from the Ukraine tell how when she was a little girl right after World War II, the communists killed Christians in her village and she escaped and she thought she was the only Christian for years. At least that she knew of. He listened to Indian pastors tell of how their fellow pastors were beaten and stoned in villages because they preached the gospel there. Only to go back the next day and preach to the same people the same gospel. One Indian pastor, 
Attacked by Hindu radicals who beat the bottoms of his feet till they bled so that he could not walk back to their village. As soon as he could stand, he bandaged and wrapped his feet in bandages, went back to the same village, preached the same gospel. He listened to a Cuban Christian tell how they had threatened and imprisoned them for their faith. Around the world today, more Christians are suffering persecution than at any other time in the history of Christianity. In some countries like North Korea and Islam, in some Islamic countries, even owning a Bible that we held up proudly is a capital offense. If you're a Christian, you're not suffering for your faith. You're in the minority. During the time that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he was in prison for no other reason than he was a follower of Jesus Christ. It's been said that if you and I were arrested for our faith, would they be able to produce enough evidence to convict us? How about that one? How about that one? I mean, for for so many people, we don't even carry a Bible. We don't, heaven knows we don't open the thing. Well, I have to sit and listen to you every week. My goodness, 52 times in a year, that's... Hey, I'm going to give you two weeks of vacation. It's only 50. Whoop. Four weeks of vacation. It's only 48. Whoop. Yeah. Well, then you got... You see, see what I'm saying? And we have our sermons. Every Sunday, sermon is online. It takes a little effort. You got you to you open up the internet and you got to get on there. Well, I don't do that computer stuff. Okay. Great. Call me. I'll just send it to you. Written form. Whatever. You will be persecuted. But there's differing degrees of persecution. Some suffer socially. They're considered outcasts for their faith. Ran across a great story about a guy named Jose Boris. Had been a Roman Catholic priest, was given the assignment of studying Christianity and studying Christians to find out why they were wrong and the Roman Catholics were right and then how to refute their doctrine. So he began to study what Christians believed. He made an appointment with the Christian pastor in that uh, town where he was. And he set up an interview to interview that pastor about his faith. In the course of his investigation, as he spoke with this Christian pastor, this pastor shared the gospel of salvation by faith through grace with Jose. Jose looked at the scripture, realized that what the Christian was saying was true. And under deep conviction by the Holy Spirit, Jose prayed to receive Christ and be saved. When he went back to his bishop, he was immediately dismissed from the priesthood and put on the streets, literally, with nothing more than the clothes on his back. Still a young man, he went home, knocked on the door, asked his mother who opened the door if he could come in. And she said, I don't have a son anymore, and slammed the door, being a strong Roman Catholic as she was. So he goes to the pastor who had led him to Christ and this pastor took him in. And Jose Boros went on to become one of the most leading, the best leading evangelical pastors in all of Spain. But not without having to pay a heavy price for his faith. Some suffer socially. Others suffer economically. I read a story about a man who grew up in Utah. He said in his story <laughs> that if you own a business there and are not a Mormon, you're promptly going to go out of business. Because the Mormons won't support you because you're not one of them. 
Also, it would be hard for you to find a job if you're a born-again Christian. In reading about some Indian pastors who've lost their jobs, they've lost their homes, and they've done all that simply because they're Christians. Others suffer physically. Like Paul, many Christians are still in prison for their faith. In Muslim countries around the world, our Christian brothers and sisters are beaten in prison and some are killed and for no other reason than their faith. In Iraq, they're killing the Christians who are practicing Christians in Iraq. Hey. Ah, well, that's those nuts over there in the Middle East. I... Paul is saying that the call to follow Christ is a call to be ready and willing to suffer should Jesus call us to do so. Brad Caleb wanted me to do a, what he read a story one time about a church was meeting and all of a sudden some armed guys, hooded guys broke in the back door and came in with submachine guns holding them up. And they said, if you're a true Christian, stay. If you're not, get out. If you love Jesus with all your heart, stay. And he said that half the church left. Over half the church. And he said the guys pulled their hoods off and sat on the front row and said, okay, preacher, we got rid of the riffraff. Go ahead and preach to the Christian. <laughs> I hate to tell you the story because I thought I might try that some Sunday. Well, that'd stir them up, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But the second part of verse 9 in our text, Paul says that in spite of his suffering, in spite of his chains, the gospel is unshackled. It is not in chains. And that leads us to the third thing I want you to see is the power of the gospel can't be bound. Cannot be bound. Even though Paul was in chains, he knew good and well that outside the walls of his prison, the gospel was continuing to spread like wildfire. The Romans, if they had read his letter, would realize how lost and blind they are. They were, they were all worried more about protecting their physical territory while the gospel was conquering the hearts and lives of their people and would one day conquer their empire. The gospel is not bound. From the very beginning of Christianity, there have been those who would try to stop and stomp out the gospel. But no one has ever been able to do it. Governments can't do it. The Romans tried it, overtook their country. The Soviets tried, their government fell. The Chinese have tried, and one day, one day, they're going to wake up and find more Christians than communists in their country. They're underground now, but they will rise one day. And China will be the place where they're sending missionaries to the world. Because we sat down as Christians and said, we can't do it. We can't do it. I'm not going anywhere but here. I'll go down to Quick Trip, but that's not. I'm not going to share Jesus though. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. If we offered you a Bible college level class, how many of you would sign up to take it? I bet you there'd be a whole bunch sign up to take it. You know why? Because you really do want to. Then you have to actually study. Then you have to actually apply it. And you go, I'm just too tired. We've offered classes here that go 12 weeks. 12 weeks! I get you three. You'd stop five. Oh, quit. I'll try it another cycle. 
We're going to throw some stuff at you coming up in the next few weeks. Get ready. So I want you to just take the next step. We've been setting as a church. God's not pleased with us. He wants this church to grow. He wants this church to double in size. Quickly, I know quickly when I say stuff like that, for some of you, it just grabs you inside and you don't like it. Because that means you're going to be out of your comfort zone and you're going to have to sit by somebody you don't know. You might walk in and how dare they sit in my chair? How dare they? Preacher, what are you trying to start here? The gospel will not, cannot, must not be bound. And folks, we should not be the part of the people who cause it to be bound. Philosophies of men can't bind the gospel. For centuries, men have tried with their crafty words and their human reason to undermine the gospel. To bind it with the wisdom of men. But try as they may, they can't bind the gospel. Those who have ventured into the philosophies of men have found that it can fill your head, but not your heart. It can give you questions about life, but it can't answer life's questions. It can call, it can tell you what dead men thought, but not what the living God says. Only the gospel can bring you into a relationship with Jesus Christ who alone can fill your heart and your soul. The philosophies of man cannot bind the gospel. The gospel shatters all of them. False religions can't bind the gospel. Even today in the places where it's illegal to be a Christian, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Oh, that we'd have a breakout of revival in America. And the only way we will is when Christianity is really put under pressure. Hey, we're the only ones that get picked on. Hey, we're the only ones that get made fun of. Hey, we're the only ones that can't stand up for our faith. You've got to call yourself a Muslim, man. They'll give you everything you want here in America. It seems like, doesn't it? But you call yourself a Christian. Whoop, you're out. You're done. Over. Yeah. But I'll guarantee you one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Not Muhammad, thank God. You ever read about that guy? You ought to read up on him. Guy was, whew, you're talking about scandalous. Sex with young people. Guy's a nut. And they build a religion around him? <laughs> God love you. Well, I'll kill you, preacher. Because I sing. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing person. Chop my head off. But chop it off while I'm singing. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. I bet my head would just keep on singing. <laughs> not that I'm ready to step in line and try that right now, but you never know. And then verse 10, Paul leads us to number four. And that's the gospel calls us to endure. The New Testament endurance is linked with the most severe trials imaginable. The very word describes an attitude which is determined to hold on regardless of the cost. I'm excited that Mark gets to graduate in just a few months. 
But all of us that have been through college, we look back on it and go, wow. Because <laughs> we thought that was so hard, didn't we? Then we got through that with that knowledge, and then we had to start applying that knowledge out in the world. This whole world's a cruel place, isn't it? They'll, th- they'll chew you up and spit you out if you don't have anything inside you. Any core value inside you, they'll spit you out like nothing. Paul's urging Timothy, endure, hold on, don't give up on the mission because it's too great. The stakes are too high and the price of failure too costly. In 2 Corinthians 11.24, Paul says this, five times I received from the Jews... Forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers among false brothers, labor and hardships, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. Not to mention other things. There is daily pressure on me. My care for the church. Whew! How many want to sign up? (laughs) go back to verse 10 this is why I endure all things for the elect so that they also may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory now he's not talking about the elect of predestination he's talking about those who are predetermined to be in Christ to have the heart and mind to follow Christ to remain faithful to endure to do whatever it takes to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to hear the gospel Paul's passion for seeing others come to know God was so great that he dedicated his whole life, his whole heart, being predetermined in that predetermination to make sure everybody heard the gospel. Telling Timothy, and he's telling you and me today, that if we'll be followers of Christ, if we'll take the name of Jesus upon ourselves and call ourselves his disciples, that we too must be willing to endure. We too must live with this predetermination that we will not quit. And when the going gets tough, we're not going to give up. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give up. If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. Death to self here on earth. Walking under His Lordship here brings with it the promise of life. With Him here in heaven. Also, clearly in verse 8, it deals with the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel, the death to self and the life in Christ. Then if we endure, we will also reign with Him. Here's that promise to all those who endure. It will be worth it one day, says Paul. Timothy, if you can hold on here, if you can keep your perspective and not give in to the temptations to live this life uh, that, that are found in this life, but rather continue living for the life to come, irrespective of the pain, the problems, the persecution, someday you will reign with Christ in heaven. It's worth living for. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. Paul remembered Jesus' words in Matthew 10, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge Me before men, I will also acknowledge Him before My Father in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I will also deny Him before My Father in heaven. I used to think that was just a verbal denial. But I've come to understand that if I know it's wrong and I can say something, and I don't, then I've said it's okay. So when you're sitting around at the office, and they're telling the off-color jokes, and you know it's wrong, say something. Nope. 
I know. I know. They'll brand you. Oh, I know. I know. Well, who are you to judge me? Don't have to. You judged yourself. Fool. It'd be fun to call him a fool, wouldn't it? Fight break out. It'd be great. <laughs> but see, denial is not only the words I say, but it's not doing anything. Not doing anything. The emphasis that Paul is trying to stress to Timothy is to be an authentic Christian, never turning and walking away. Those who can deny him, who can say he is not God, who deny that he is the risen Savior, well, they've really never known him. Persecution and tribulation often separates the sheep from the goats and demonstrates who those real believers are. What about the person who stumbles? What about the person who goes through periods of doubt and confusion? Look at verse 13 of 2 Timothy 2. If we are faithless, what does your Bible say? He is faithful or He remains faithful for He cannot what? Deny Himself. Jesus cannot deny Himself. There is a great insight to the character and nature of God. It's a great theological truth that says if we stumble, if we falter in the moments of our weakness, do things which are less than faithful to Him, He will not retaliate. Hallelujah. (coughs) His very nature is one of faithfulness. If we are His... If we have been bought with the blood, filled with His Spirit, our names are in the Lamb's book of life, He will never leave us, nor forsake us, but will be with us always. It's part of His very nature to remain faithful. As the worship team comes to help me close. It's awesome the way Paul closes and wraps up what he's saying to Timothy. (coughs) Timothy suffered from the temptations of fear and doubt, much like us. Timothy, who saw all that was happening to Paul and wondered whether or not he wanted to end up in that way. Timothy, Paul says, you need to know that even when you do things that are less than faithful to God, He's always there. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to receive. With open arms, ready to lift us up and to put us back on our feet, walking in the right direction. Father, I ask you this morning as we pray together, We need to not chain the gospel. Oh, we're fearful. We doubt sometimes. Because the essence of it is, Father, we, we do really want to talk to people about the Lord. I know we do. That's deep in our DNA because when we accepted you as our personal Savior, we know... Somebody had to tell us about that message. So we need to in turn turn around and tell others. But God, there's a great fear. Because I might be asked a question that I don't know the answer to. Well, the great news is we don't have to know every answer. We just have to know you.
God, I, 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 I don't know the, the verses. I don't know where to take. And while knowing verses is important, God, it's not critical as much as it is that they see us different. They see in us a change. So God, I'm asking you today, and the people that are in this room this morning, that you will wrestle with their heart. All month we're going to wrestle with what life brings us. And God, I'm going to pray that you wrestle with these folks. That you wrestle with their heart. That you wrestle with their words. You wrestle with their thoughts. You wrestle with their commitments. You wrestle with every facet of their life. Finances, study habits, serving others. Stir us up, God. We want to be a church that honors You and glorifies You. And Father, we want to make sure that if we know somebody who doesn't know You, that we'll do everything within our power, in our grasp, to get that message to them. Father, it may be as simple as calling the preacher and saying, Preacher, can you have lunch with me and my friend? God, I know the words to say and I've got the verses, but I may not have the contact or the relationship. So can we do it as a team together? God, I believe in you and I believe what you can bring to this church and what you can bring to my life. So God, I challenge them here today. I challenge all of us here today to turn our feet toward the cross and to take you off of that cross and start living through the power that's in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Invitation songs for you. Respond, God is tugging.